not one company has ever transformed its culture into something completely new. And so the way we use transformation currently is, well, probably not correct. back from a slightly extended although not fully intended summer break and can you believe it it is already October and we are in the final stretch of 2021. I cannot believe that has happened to us. Anyway over the summer we read a new book which was published back in February of this year. It's called Culture Renovation 18 Leadership Actions to Build an Unshakable Company by Kevin Oakes. This episode is targeted really more for our fellow HR professionals, transformation enthusiasts and leaders It will be more practical and based on the useful 18-step framework that has been provided by the book. Kevin is CEO and founder of a company called I4CP, which stands for the Institute of Corporate Productivity, a leading authority on human capital research. As he explains in his book, organizations with healthy cultures outperform others in virtually every measure, whether it's revenue growth, market share, profitability, and customer satisfaction. This book explores how to pull that together as we'll discuss today in the podcast. And I think you probably wonder, culture renovation, what on earth is that about? Basically, that's the main idea of the book, that not one company has ever transformed its culture into something completely new. And so the way we use transformation currently is, well, probably not correct. And through the research that Kevin and his team have done, it became really clear that companies that effectively changed their culture were successful actually because they were renovating what they had and not starting from scratch and completely rebuilding or transforming that particular culture. So he says that successful companies actually recognized which elements they needed to keep, what was the core of the culture that they had and what they wanted, and then took that as a foundation and made that the start of their journey to change. So actually his purpose of the book is to get you going on the idea to figure out what you want to keep, what you want to evolve and grow, honoring the past, and then also use all those elements as an important first step when you go into any change activity, and that will actually increase your level of success by much. And as the title of the book already indicates, there are 18 leadership steps in the framework that he uses. And he divided those 18 steps in three main areas. They are plan, build, and maintain. And when you go into the first bit, plan, it really is about figuring out what to keep. What makes your current culture great? What needs to change? So identifying those differences. And then within the build phase, it's more around detailing out the strategy in terms of if you have identified what you want to keep and what needs to evolve, how do you then go about doing that? How can you empower your leaders to communicate in the right way? How do you influence the right people across the organization to make the actual change? And then the third phase is the maintain phase, which is all around keeping it and making sure that 
the culture change actually stays and that it is a sustainable change. And here he, for example, speaks to performance management, how you continue to explore the core values of the company, etc. So what we will do today is we will go not through all the 18 steps, because that will be way too much, <laughs> or sidestep, did we like all the steps? But we do want to shed a light on some of the elements that were in each of these areas and make it a little bit practical and hopefully get you excited to try some of these things as well fully into the sort of what we want to do with the experiential spark. Where the word renovation comes from as well for him to bring it to life for you guys is it's around you know when you maybe buy a new house you don't knock it all down and build it up from scratch so I think about the house that I bought with Tom three years ago now you know there was one big thing that I wanted to change I wanted to knock the wall down between the kitchen and the dining room because where those two rooms were separate that didn't allow for the type of socializing I wanted to have in the house that didn't require me to knock down every single wall in the house. That required me to find the one wall that was causing the barrier and knock it down. The rest needed a paint or the rest needed new furniture. I could keep the rest because the rest was working for us. So that idea of renovation comes from you know, finding as small things, making it manageable and not throwing everything out the window just because you're new to it or it's something new that you want to achieve. Okay, so the first theme of the 18 steps is the plan stage. And I liken this to a piece of advice we received when we moved into our house, which was live in the house before you make any big changes. Understand how you use the house. Understand what frustrates you because it stops you using the house in the way that you want to live your life. Don't just go in and make drastic changes because how you think you will utilize the space and actually how you do utilize the space are very different. This is a little bit what the plan phase is about. Before you take big steps and make big changes, plan is really understanding where are you today? What's good about that and what needs to change and how are you going to do that? So that's really what he talks about in the plan stage. And one of the areas that we found interesting was the listening strategies. One of the CEOs from T-Mobile says, listen to your customers and employees and do what they, I think, effing tell you to do or shut the F up and do what they tell you to do was kind of what he said. Something along those lines, <laughs> yes. But he nails it. Actually. Yes. Yeah, because you do have to listen to what the people around you say. So in your example, with regards to the house, it's more like listening to yourself and how you feel when you are in a space. When you join a company as a new leader or you actually start out as a new leader and you want to change something, this is probably a moment where you want to do some good listening and sit down with as many people as possible around you to understand how things work around here, what does work well, what doesn't work well. Or if you have been a leader for quite some time within the organization and want to make a change, then as well you want to listen 
if you are, as in our case, an HR business partner, it's also when you start out a change within the area that you support to listen to as many people and maybe even customers actually as possible to understand where where they are. And this made me think about activity that we do within the part of the organization that I support now on a more regular basis. And this is actually not necessarily even part of a transformation journey, but the way you do listen to employees can happen in many different ways and formats. And they have come up with a format of roasting the MT, so the management team. And it's basically where the highest member of the management team sits in front of a delegation of that certain area within the organization. They've obviously gathered input from the rest, but they can then share what frustrates them, whether it's about the management team or not, whether it's about the tools and the technology or whatever, it can be about anything, but it's basically a set time where everybody from within the organization can let the management team know how they actually feel. And they've then sort of put it in a roast format <laughs> where it's also allowed to make crappy jokes and all those things, but it, it fits with, I would say the culture mm. of the organization to do it like this. And it allows the management team get honest feedback. And that's a great way to do it. And in the book, there are many examples being discussed of actually do this. What are listening strategies that mm. you can use? For example, a focus group, hackathons are used quite well. There are many ways and you can be actually really creative in how you mm. set this up and how you can involve the employees in your organization to to get the information that you need to understand what are the elements we need to keep and what not. And the other thing is just how unaware uh, leadership teams often are about the essence and the sentiment of culture among employees. And really the, you know, one of the key things that I'm trying to do as an HR professional is encourage my leaders to do things such as skip level meetings to get down and hear frequently and just ask what's going on in the organization. I think we really saw that recently as well with COVID. And there's lots of research out there as, around how senior team members or senior executives experience the working from home, lack of office versus junior. And it is a generalization, but the world of work has changed. We aren't actually communicating with one another as much as we used to. So really being deliberate about your listening strategy and keeping it open and regular is really important. And the other interesting bit is customers. Can anyone you know, who's listening think about when did we last check what our customers think of our, our company and what does that say about what we're trying to achieve? So yeah, listening, really important, really hard to do well. And that actually goes as well for the second step that we will discuss now. It's actually step four in the framework, and that's around defining the desired behaviors. And I at least see that when we are talking about behavior, it's really difficult for everybody, including myself, to go from 
okay, this is our strategy or this is our core value. What does that mean on a daily basis? And often what you see is that that, that goal or the strategy at some point becomes clear. It's, it's communicated through a town hall or whatever. And then we assume that people actually understand what's expected of them. And people don't. Yeah. And we don't spend enough time to really make it clear what we expect of people. And we then think people don't want to change. But that's not what this is about. People just don't know what they need to do. So it's really important to make that as clear as possible. Mm. We we have a, a part of our organization is in China. And we had a story recently shared by our HR manager in China. And one of the leaders in the factory had shared this to her team. And it was, think about a herd of buffalo. When a herd of buffalo sees a lion coming on to you know where they are to attack not every buffalo can see that lion but the one closest will and they may turn and run and so the buffalo behind turns and run and the buffalo behind that turns and run and so the one at the back of the pack that can't see the lion knows to turn and run and that's a little bit what I think you need to do with your desired behaviours is make it really, really clear what is the direction we all need to turn and run in so that we all know we're going the same way. And one of the teams that I'm working with at the moment, we're on a real journey about how we install and create a growth mindset and really challenge ourselves to deliver more ambitious growth plans for the business. And so we talked a lot about what are the behaviours we want to show regularly to help us and we talk about trust accountability and growth or our tag behaviors because love it that we can call it something we do uh monthly tag awards um and it might sound a bit cheesy externally uh to people listening now and it might sound a bit forced but on a monthly basis every company has these things exactly but it really is real for this team and becoming real for this team uh, because they came up with it and so on a monthly basis everyone nominates someone big or small activity for showing trust accountability or growth and you know it could be as small as we have one where someone went to get printer paper and not asked the PA to get the printer paper and that PA just said thank you so much for like taking accountability and helping me and the team out or it could be as big as you've achieved a big pricing increase that we didn't think we were going to get. So it's, it's, it can be at either end of the spectrum. But what I am seeing now, when we're probably six, seven months into that journey, is the tag language is part of how we talk as a team. And we all know what those behaviours mean. And we call them out when we see them, and importantly, when we don't. So we're starting to build that rhythm of, if you think back to the buffalo turning, we all know what the direction is that we're trying to go into. So we all know that we need to show trust, accountability and growth. So it's not just about at the town hall, shiny, shiny, here are desired behaviours. It's about the training that you're putting in to help them come to life. And it's about the reinforcement in every action that you take, either as a leader or a team member to bring those behaviours to life. Yeah. And actually, in what you just described, this is a big part of the maintain stage as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because you want, you want it to 
stay. You want the culture to stay and be a sustainable change. So if we move to the build phase, and we've touched upon it already a few times, but it's really important to paint a clear picture of what the future should look like. So within the plan phase, you've listened to your employees, done a whole lot of other stuff, and you have now a clear understanding, a clear picture of these are the things that people already do or what we want to keep. And these are the things that we now need to either kind of rebuild or start from scratch and put those two together. This will paint your picture of the future. And one of the elements that is being discussed in the book is the power of stories and the power of symbols that help to get that picture of the future across to the people in the organization. Because often in any form of communication, there's this level of interpretation and everybody is a different human. Everybody has a different perspective and reference framework of which someone receives the communication. And so even though it might be super clear to the leadership team what the future looks like, someone in a different part of the organization might hear that same communication and think, I have no idea. Mm. And this is where stories and symbols can really help to reinforce that message. And there are a lot of great examples in the book mentioned of how people do it. But one of the things that I wanted to highlight was actually an onboarding program that I think the company was called Qualcomm. <laughs> the program is called 52 Weeks. And whenever someone joins the company, they would receive an email every week for the first year. And each of that, each of those emails would actually contain a story with pictures. For example, talking about the history of the company, uh, it would be stories that would reinforce the core values of that company through the story. It would be reinforcing certain behaviors, etc. And it is a not so dry way, I would say, to actually share what the future looks like or what the culture is that you want to keep within the organization. And in this particular case with the 52 weeks uh, program, it was so well received that everybody else in the company also wanted to receive those emails. So it only goes to show how powerful it can actually be more than just a flat sentence in a PowerPoint slide, but more of, you know, bring it to life. And yeah. And I think stories are a really important part of the culture. So telling those stories, but we also need to recognize that we need to let some stories go. So the balance he talks in looking back and looking forward, acknowledging where you've come from. The book reminded me of The Culture Web by Jerry Johnson and Kevin Scholes. And they have six elements that are interrelated to make up what they call the paradigm at the center or the pattern of the work environment, so the culture it creates. And those six elements are stories, so past events, and what people inside and outside, so customers, consumers think of you as well. And what are the stories that people tell? Rituals and routines. So what do you meet? When do you meet? How does that look? What are you talking about? 
symbols, so things like dress code, informal, formal, who gets a parking space, who doesn't, the org structure, again, formal and informal org structure, so not just the boxes on the page, but also how people connect, control systems, how are things controlled, measured, rewarded, and then the power systems, who are the people that really have influence? And when we were thinking about what's one of the culture shifts that we wanted to make in a team I supported, we acknowledged the story. So we did a from and to for the culture web. So we did a big from, which is where are we today? What are the stories that we tell about ourselves today? What are the rituals, routines, the symbols that we have today, et cetera? And then how, where do we want to be? So what are the stories we want to be telling about ourselves? If we had a new member join, what would they be saying about us? And that was a way that we could recognize some of the great things we've done, but also show that we need to build on from here now. So I thought the culture web was a really nice way to kind of go, where are we today? And recognize and appreciate, but where are we gonna to build to in the future? And then having that strong picture of the future to be. And that is actually a really, almost a structured way to put culture renovation in a picture. Yeah. So that's really great that it will help also to structure your thoughts and and help to link the right stories indeed to certain areas that people deal with on a daily basis. And I think another part of this is, and that also goes back a little bit to the desired behaviors is that often we speak about walking the talk and it's Mm -hmm. about every day, especially as a leader, you do stuff or you don't do stuff and that will reinforce the behaviors or the culture that you're trying to achieve, or mm-hmm. it will actually contradict what you're trying to achieve. Absolutely. And um, having the, for us, the culture web and the from and to really helped us to co-create the, the future, which is another step that Evan's book talks about, which is co-creating or consciously collaborating for the future that you want. So, Um, One of the leaders that I worked with, we did a lot of thinking about where are we today? We called it state A and where do we want to be state B so that he could really articulate the future of of the organization and a real vision for people to get excited about. What we didn't articulate was how are we going to get from state A to state B? That was the challenge that we gave to the team. So we called it the golden arrows. So how are we going to get from A to B? It's the golden arrow. And we had little work streams and different groups of people thinking about each of the golden arrows for the different shifts that we wanted to make. But I thought that was a really nice balance of, as a leader, I know I have a responsibility to set an exciting future, but I want to bring people on the journey together. So painting that direction, painting that end state, And then allowing the team to come up with, well, how are we going to get there? And what is the support that we need to get there? So it was building that together in a really nice structured way. Already in quite a few steps that we've discussed so far, talk about sort of this co-create collaboration mindset and where especially as a leader, you would sort of hand over your job of creating that vision and the way to get there and it can be actually quite difficult 
to put that in the hands of a whole lot of people in the organization. Can you share maybe how that was for the lead that you just mm -hmm. referred to with regards to the golden arrows to let go a bit and <laughs> step back a bit? I think he was or is someone, I should say, who really believes in the power of team. And so I think he understood that from the start, that people to be engaged in it and to feel ownership of it need to be part of the process. Mm. So it wasn't hard to convince him that that was a good way of approaching it. I think what was hard for him was being actually able to see that his role was setting that final destination because he was worried that by doing that, he was taking responsibility away from his people. So, and I think the other thing that we found through that process, which was perhaps challenging, was it takes a bit more time. If you're going to engage with people and co-create, it's going to take time. And it's going to be quite messy. So we were coming up with ideas that overlapped. So, you know, the idea for Golden Arrow A was also replicated in B and C and D. So it was knowing how to pull that together and when to say, we, we've, got, we've got enough input now. But I think I was fortunate to work with him and the team was fortunate to have him to really understand, to gain that engagement. I need to, to hand this over to the team. And I think we see this quite a lot with engaged surveys. The team often looks to the leader to fix it. You know, we scored low on X or Y. Well, actually, the team is responsible for the team's engagement. And I think the team, you know, culture is a actually quite an abstract con concept. It's, it, you, it's not real. It is only how people interact with each other. So getting them to be part of thinking about how that's going to be is one way of getting them to understand it. It's interesting how you need to have the means to have those discussions. You mm -hmm. need to facilitate those conversations yeah. and yeah. you need to facilitate people to think about it because indeed culture is, is something that exists. Yeah. We don't, it's like the air we breathe. It's, we all know it's there, but we can't yeah. like touch it. And it's really up to people like probably business partners or the leaders within the organization to then facilitate having those conversations. But mm. if you don't consciously do that, yeah, then it's really easy to yeah, have a lower engagement or have yeah. a culture that is actually not necessarily what you want to have that role of the HR I think that really speaks to the last theme of the book which is maintain and I think this is where actually we as HR professionals have a huge responsibility to keep holding the mirror up to our leaders to say you know if I go back to my house analogy you know the paintwork's chipped here or that bathroom's leaking now or actually how we you know, designed the living room isn't really fit for purpose anymore because we've got three more children and or whatever it might be. So I think, you know, and how can we tweak the way you enter this house to get a better experience throughout? So onboarding 
an employee, which is one of the key steps in the maintain phase, is so important. And I think I personally massively underestimate how important that is. And also, I think we're most like lots of people are really bad at it because it's hard probably to get right. And there's so much for a new person to learn. So are we really thinking about as we onboard people, how do we let them know you, you've joined the right team and this is how we do things? Goes back to making it really explicit mm. and facilitate everybody who is connected to that new joiner yeah. on sharing what are the core values, what are the behaviors that we expect, what does culture mean in our case? Because a lot of the knowledge that we have sits in our heads. And yeah. when somebody joins your team, it's like, well, they don't know what they don't know. And we assume often. And so, yeah, exactly. As you say, like onboarding is so important, but it's also so difficult. It's only when you look at actual new joiners, as in someone coming from externally, but actually also if you would change roles internally to a new yeah. team, a new business line, which essentially also makes you a new joiner. And just changing your perspective on, at least that was a reflection that I had, that when I move roles, see myself as a new joiner, and then also approach the onboarding in the new role in that way, because it will allow you to ask different questions and just view my role within the team differently to make it more explicit. What do I need to learn? What do I need to know in order to be successful here? So we previously discussed like the desired behaviors and how it's important to reinforce that. And as we said, then that's also a very important part of the maintain. And I actually really liked another quote in the book and I'm not actually sure who the quote is from, but someone said LinkedIn knows more about my employees <laughs> than I do. And as now Claire did, I also laughed about it and it's, it's also again about if we want to maintain a certain culture and hold up the mirror as HRBPs towards our leaders, but also as a leader yourself, you need to stay connected to your organization. So even though we said listen in strategies as part of the beginning of change to understand what is going on, it's also really important to continue to listen mm -hmm. and to continue to get to know the people in your organization, to understand where they want to go, to understand how they evolve and to understand is whatever we build, whatever culture we build, is that still the right culture for this moment with this group of mm. people? Because when people change, culture changes. When a company changes, the culture changes. So you need to, con it's, it's an evolving loop, I would say, and you need to continue to listen and, and understand where your people are at. And if you then need to, again, renovate a few of the elements in your culture, it doesn't have to be a big bang activity. It can be small little things, but you need to stay connected to your people in order to know about that and to be able to, to yeah, make the right steps. So by now we have discussed a few of the steps within the 18 step framework. And as you can see, there are loads of ways that you can actually take them with you and put them to practice in real life. The 
reflection that we both had is that these 18 steps are quite like the ideal unicorn world. And if you have a transformation journey ahead of you, then definitely pick up the book and use it as a bit of a, a guide in terms of how you want to do it. But don't let it overwhelm you. It's a thick book. There are many steps. But let that not stop you from just trying one or two things and just go with it. And you can always do more. Because even in those little tiny steps, you can really make a difference and change something and make an impact. This was really hopefully an inspiration for you to make a change. Just start and use it as a guide to help you along the way. And I think building on that, I'm going to finish up my reflections with a quote from the book, which says, for the last 20 years and all around the world, we CEOs have invested untold millions into the question, what does it take to have an engaged workplace culture? We bought books, retained consultants, rolled out surveys, looked deep into the hearts and minds of people who work for us. We know how crucial it is to have talent who work, love working for us and who will offer discretionary effort and innovation and introductions to their friends. And yet we're still screwing it up. And that was by Gary Ridge, who's the CEO of WD40. And I'm finishing with that today to say this stuff isn't easy. This book offers some really great tips, but you've got to go out there and get your hands dirty and make mistakes. I think I've shared some of my great examples today. There are some others that are not so good. And we really want to hear from you now in your journey of culture renovation and how you get on with your process. So you can get in touch with us by emailing us at experientialspark at gmail.com or you can follow us on Instagram at experientialspark. Good luck with your renovations, everyone. See you soon. Bye.